Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. quite a reputation. If you study ancient history, you'll find that Nineveh was a wicked, wicked place. And the, the people were totally and entirely given over uh, to the most vile things that you can imagine. Some of it reprehensible and can't even talk about in an audience like this. And that's what they were given to. And that's the lifestyle that they lived. Evil was something that was in abundance. Wickedness was abounding there. And it was just something that was everyday life. And he said, I'm not going to go there and preach as a witness against that city. And he determined to go a different direction. But God in his mercy, the Bible tells us that God prepared a great fish. Uh, We have speculated that that is a whale that came along and swallowed Jonah up. And somebody said, do you believe that? Do you believe that a man was swallowed up, uh, tossed in the ocean, swallowed up by a well, and lived there in the belly of the well for three days? I said, if the Bible says it, I believe it. I said, if the Bible says it, I believe it. Because the one that gives life can sustain life wherever a life is, if that's what he chooses to do. And it was in that place that suddenly... God had Jonah's attention. He, he was, his mind was set to do one thing before, but now suddenly he's begging God, pleading with God, repenting before God because of his rebellion and wanting to change his mind. And uh, we know that in that three-day period of time that he was in the belly of the well repenting and praying and crying out to God that that fish was swimming towards the very destination that God wanted him to go to in the first place. And when it coughed him up on the sandy seashores, it placed him right where he needed to be to be able to do the will of God. But this man had to get weighed down in what he called the belly of hell. That's how he described it. He had to get in a place that was tough, a tight place, so that he would hear God as he would speak to him. How about Balaam? We know that that uh, this man was placed in a precarious position. He wouldn't listen to God even when, even when his beast of burden, his donkey spoke to him. He, he didn't want to believe that it was of God. And he, he struck that donkey. And the Bible tells us that, that the donkey began to speak and talk to him. And, and it was trying to avoid an angel that was standing in his path, trying to stop him from going against the will of God. And, and finally he was willing to yield, and finally he was willing to listen to what God was trying to say. Sometimes God has to speak to us an unusual way and place us in tight places and positions so that we will hear the voice of the Lord. Amen. What about Naomi? She took a journey that she shouldn't have ever taken down to Moab, which was just a, just a, a little ways away. But it was a whole long ways away from where she needed to be as far as the will of God. Some people say, well, it's just a minor decision. It's just a small choice. I, 
Did you pray about it? Well, I don't really have to pray about this. It's not a big deal. I mean, it's obvious. It's apparent. There's no bread here. There's no job here. There's nothing for me to stay here for. Well, that may not be the will of God. That may not be the purpose of God for your life. You may get down there in the Moab and lose your entire family as Naomi did. And finally... When she came to herself and realized, I need to get back to Bethlehem, Judah, she came back and they said, is that Naomi? She doesn't even look like, I mean, she has a semblance, but, but, but life has been hard on her and it's hard to recognize who she is. I'm going to tell you, sin and making choices outside of the will of God is, is a hard way to live. The Bible says the way of a transgressor is hard. Somebody said it's hard to live for God. It's much harder to live for the enemy. It's much harder to live a life of sin. It's much harder to live a life of rebellion. It's much harder uh, to go against the will and the purpose of God for your life. So, so, you know, minor decisions as we call them may not be so minor when it comes to God. That's why we've got to seek and know the will and the purpose of God for our lives. Nebuchadnezzar had to get way down. The Bible says of Nebuchadnezzar that, that uh, you know, he got, I mean, over and over again. I preached this not too long ago. I mean, it was like God would deal with him, show him something miraculous. I mean, he showed him that uh, uh, the Hebrew boys was thrown into the fiery furnace and God delivered them out. I mean, that ought to be enough for anybody, right? And, and not only that, he sees a fourth man in the fire like unto the Son of God. That ought to be enough for anybody, right? And, and it wasn't enough for him. It, it takes too much to impress some folks. I mean, if, if you live in a realm of sensationalism and you never fall in love with God, it'll take too much impre- to impress you for you to be saved. If you're just living from mountaintop to mountaintop and you never learn how to live for God in the plains, in the desert, and even in the valley, you'll never make it living for God. Say, you know what, we got to have this and we got to have that and we got to have this person come in and we got to have somebody can rattle off my zip code for me to be impressed. Let me just tell you something. If this word of God and Calvary and the blood of Jesus doesn't move you, there isn't much hope for you. I said there isn't much hope for you. It's the word of God that's going to build stable people and that is what he's going to judge us by and that's what we need to get excited. We still need to have a thrill in our heart when a preacher gets up and lays back his ears and preaches about one God. We need to have a, we need to have a love, amen, for this Acts 2.38 message and the revelation that God has given us of truth. We still need to get enthusiastic and excited about it. It still needs to thrill our soul just like it did the first time we ever heard amen praise god i'm not gonna i'm not gonna get into this pulling rabbits out of the hat every sunday amen that that's not the will of god i'm not gonna get into this being a showboat every sunday amen the word of god is enough to move us it's forever settled in heaven it's powerful enough amen that's what this world was framed by is the word of god that's what created this world is the word of god he spoke the word and there's enough power in that to save there's enough power in that to heal there's enough power in that to change a person's life what else do we need is the spirit and the word moving in a church service just like this that's right Praise God. Amen. He wasn't impressed. And so Daniel gets to praying and people secretly makes a decree and, and they throw him in the, in the lion's den. 
on and on and on. Just one right after another things that is revealed and shown. He, he gets the heart of the beast placed within him and, 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 and uh, grazes like a wild ox in the field. His hair grows out like eagle's feathers, like bird's claws, his nails. And, uh, you know, I've seen some of that in this quarantine. And uh, anyway, so <laughs> just thought I'd put that little punch in there while I had the opportunity. Anyhow, uh, the heart of the beast placed in him. And finally, he says, you know, I, after a period of time, he looks up and says, you know, I acknowledge that I can't make it without you, God. I can't live without you, God. His pride's what put him on his hands and knees, and it's his repentance is what got him up from that place. God had to bring him down to be able to bring him back up. Sometimes God has to bring us down in order to bring us up. Saul of Tarsus, the Bible says, on his way, riding with papers in his hand, a group of men with him, and he struck down on the road to Damascus. He says, finally, who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutes. It's hard to be, to kick against the pricks. In other words, uh, it's hard for you to keep kicking against those sharp objects they would place behind the oxen or the mule, the donkey, as it was plowing, to keep him from kicking its master and training not to kick against the plow or to tear up the equipment or maybe even injure or kill uh, the person that was plowing with him. Then they would put these sharp objects behind and it would prick him every time he would kick against it. And it wouldn't take long until even a dumb ox would learn that it's hard to kick against the pricks. And he said, it's hard for you. You've been hard-headed, but I'm getting your attention. It's hard for you. You're blind now. You can't see your hand in front of your face. It's going to take somebody to lead you on into the city. But when you get there, find Ananias the preacher because he's a man of prayer. He's a man that knows how to hear from God. And when you get there, ask him what you shall do. And it was Ananias when he arrived, opened up the door and opened up his arms at the same time and said, Brother Paul, or Brother Saul rather, that's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. That tells me this man had a word from God and had confidence that the Lord was dealing with him and was changing him as he was able to accept him. This is a man that had killed, murdered Christians, people that maybe even Ananias knew personally. And Ananias even questioned God. Are you sure about this? But he said he's a chosen vessel. You go ahead and accept him in. And he said, Brother Saul. And he led him to the waters of baptism and baptized him in Jesus' name. And he was filled with the Holy Ghost and became a great apostle to the Gentiles and wrote one third of your New Testament I'm going to tell you God sometimes has to bring people down in order to bring them up come on don't take a downturn as you're out of the will of God take a downturn as maybe God is trying to get me back into his will maybe God is trying to get me in a place where he can bless me again maybe God is trying to get my attention because he has a new anointing for me in my life Oh, come on, let's worship the Lord together. Hallelujah. 
There's just something about a man or a woman that is humble enough to recognize that I need more of God, that refuse to rely upon yesterday's experience, that understand the dangers of becoming dry and calloused, that have a revelation of their need of constant renewal, that don't leave their relationship with God up to chance. They're not willing to gamble with it. But every time they come to the house of God and in every opportunity that they have, I'm hungry for more. I desire more. They have a fervency in their soul. People that avoid the deadly pitfalls are just becoming passive Pentecostals. But realize I need Lord, the Lord to move in my life and I need a renewing and refreshing of God's Spirit. Hallelujah. Somebody give him a wave offering across this John chapter 4, Jesus explains to us the characteristics of a true worshiper is what he, what he said it was, a true worshiper. And he is dealing with this lady of Samaria at the well of Samaria. He sent his disciples away so that he could have time to deal with her and talk to her. And he begins to tell her about her life. And she says, you know what? I perceive you're a prophet. You've told me things that nobody else knows about but, but you. And, 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 and you, you told me all these things. You've never met me before. And finally, he says, you know what? The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit, little s, and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, capital S. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit, little s, and in truth. It's emphasized twice there, back to back. That spirit, when he's talking about the human spirit, he's talking about the enthusiasm that comes from within. You've got to be passionate about this. True worshipers. I used to think, well, that meant that there's hypocrites and false people, and then there's people that really have a revelation. And, uh, and I'm, I'm sure that's part of the meaning there. But, but when you look into the depth of that and study that, it's talking about unconcealed. People that are not true worshipers manage to conceal and hide their love and their desire and their hunger for the things of God. The true worshipers. They can't conceal it. When they come into the presence of God. It's a natural response. They want to praise the Lord. That's, a, that's the characteristics of a true worshiper. They put spirit into it. I'm not talking about. Uh, I'm thankful that we will have the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is a part of our worship. I'm not saying that. But, but I'm going to tell you, you. You have to get your will involved with worship. Sometimes the day has been bad. And you've went through a crisis. And you've had some terrible situations and, and you, you've seen some things happen that you're not, you're not really uh, happy about but nevertheless you can come to the house of God and say you know what I will bless the Lord at all times and his praise shall continually be in my mouth I can still worship God I can, that, that's what it's talking about amen that's that spirit amen because I have the truth because God has blessed me with the revelation of who he is amen because I know that 
it is Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. He never has a bad day. No matter how my day is going, he's always the same. He's able to lift me up. He's able to strengthen me. I'll go ahead and praise him now. God never intended Pentecostalism to be a dry, passive experience. In fact, this is what disturbed the Lord when he made a visit to the temple. I know there's other occasions in the Gospels, but Matthew 21, it's described that he took a whip in his hand and drove out the money changers. These were people that were on the backs of the people. People would, in their sincerity, bring their best. And the priest would pick around and figure something wrong with it and say, well, this won't work, but we got one we can sell you. But we can't sell using the Roman currency. That doesn't work in here in the temple courtyard. You've got to have our currency here, so your money has to be exchanged. And then, you know, to just to help and pad our pockets a little bit, we're going to charge you a money exchange fee. So they were making profits on everything. And that became the focal point of the temple. That became the focal point of the house of God other than what it was created and built and designed and purposed for in the first place. And he said, "You've my house was to be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Church had become ritualistic, profitable only to a certain segment of people. And notice something. I noticed something reading this story. We, a lot of times we gloss over this part. But as soon as it would cleanse, we think, wow, man, he took a whip in there and he overturned the tables of the money changers. And, and, and you know, he just went like a wild banshee in there. And, and we focus on that and we forget that after, after he cleansed it, what did the Bible say? That he healed the blind and the lame. He said this is what it was created for. He didn't just show them. He didn't just tell them what it wasn't to be. He told them what it was to be. Amen. I, I don't want to just be somebody that stands up here and tells you what we're not supposed to do. I want to, I want to be one that demonstrates. And I want to be, I hope you want to be one that demonstrates what we are supposed to be. Don't just tell me what you're against. Tell me what you're for. Tell me what you can demonstrate. Show me that God is powerful. Show me that God can heal. Show me the miracles. Show me the signs and the wonders that are supposed to follow believers. Amen. Praise God. Once we get it cleaned up, there needs to be some manifestations of the power of God and the will of God being performed in the house of God. Come on, this ought to be a place where people get in the Holy Ghost. This ought to be a place uh, where miracle signs and wonders are. This ought to be a place where folks can be healed. This ought to be a place where fear doesn't abound, but faith abounds. This ought to be a place where people stand on the Word of God. Hallelujah. And wrapping up tonight, Matthew chapter 21, Jesus took this whip and drove those money changers out. 
And then I, I began to read this chapter, and I was wondering how all of this coalesced together. I mean, it was amazing. And, and we see right after that instance, we see the situation, the incident that took place with the fig tree. The next morning, the Bible says, in fact, we see this instance with the fig tree and uh, how that it had all the markings of a tree that should have fruit on it. And when he got up close and he's expecting to pick some fruit and eat of the figs, he noticed that it had leaves and it had all the markings of a healthy tree, but it wasn't bearing fruit. And he cursed it. Seems kind of harsh. Cursed it. He said, you know what? I don't want something that just says or shows the markings. I want something that I don't want something that just has the telltale signs. I want something that can manifest the real. I don't want you just saying that you're something. You can say you're a fig tree all day long, but do you bear figs? You can say you're an apostolic church all day long, but do you see lives changed? Do you see people turned around? Do you see testimonies in your midst where God has healed and delivered and set people free? Amen. And we have them in this in this church. We have people that's been delivered from alcoholism. We have people that's been delivered from drugs. Matter of fact, if I mention something that God has done for you in your life, you ought to get on your feet and clap your hands. If you've been delivered from alcoholism, if you've been delivered from drug addiction, if you've been delivered from some kind of fatal sickness, you ought to get on your feet. If God has touched you in your body and made you whole, you ought to get on your feet. Amen. Every one of us have a miracle. It's a miracle we're here. God has protected us. God has watched over us. But help us, God, to keep on bearing fruit. Help us, God, to keep on seeing miracles. Help us, God, to keep on seeing the power of God. Come on, let's give him some praise right now. You can remain standing. Musicians, would you please come? And so... There's several other things and parables that he gives in that text and I was planning to kind of touch on, but I want to go to Luke 18. And that is where you find Jesus speaking about a publican and a Pharisee who came to the synagogue on the same day. And one had all of his robe creased just right had his Pharisee hat on, veil or whatever it was. He had it down. I mean, he was standing there very out in the center where everybody could see, and he had it down. I mean, he had it memorized. He had said it many times. And he saw this as he was coming in. He saw this publican over there in the corner, he was beating his chest in desperation for he was truly hungry for God. And he was saying, Oh Lord, help me, a sinner. I need you. The Pharisee said, Oh, I thank you, God. And he started rattling off all of his accomplishments and all of his 
things that he, through his flesh, was able to obtain and do. And he said, matter, matter of fact, by the way, I, I'm glad I'm not like this publican. And the way that they said publican, it was just, it raised their hackles. It, they hated publicans because they seen them as traitors to their own people. But the publican just continued. He wasn't there to see the Pharisee. He wasn't there to impress the Pharisee. He was there to touch God. And the Lord asked those that were listening a question. He said, which one do you think went to his house justified? Was it the one that came with his impressive prayer? Oh, he had his reward. He got his reward while he was there at the synagogue for all those people that, that turned around and said, wow, what a spiritual guy. What an awesome prayer. What, a, what an articulate man. That was the only reward he got because God didn't hear anything he had to say because he didn't have the right spirit. But the man that was broken, the man that was desperate, the man that was fervent, the man that did what James said, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. God said, if you're giving me a choice, which one? I choose him. I choose him. I'll take, I'll take the public. Because I can do something with someone that is fervent. I can't do much with somebody satisfied. I can't do much with somebody's fool. I can't do much with, with somebody who has no appetite. I, I can't do much with somebody who has no desire. I can't do much with somebody that says, I have enough. That's all I want. But I can do a whole lot with that one that says, I need you more. I desire more of you. I hunger for more of you. Young man went to Bible school in Houston, Texas Bible College. He was filled with the Holy Ghost in Texas City, nearby town. Went to Bible school, didn't have any preacher as a father. He didn't have any pedigree in Pentecost. But he had a passion to, to know God, get closer to God. Matter of fact, a lot of his contemporaries and fellow students, they thought it was a little odd. Because he would go and stay in the prayer room for hours. They thought he was a little different because there was days he didn't go to lunch with the rest of them. He spent them in fasting. In one particular setting where the pew came to teach at the Bible school, he was teaching about the world and billions of people that inhabited the world and so many of them that were lost, masses of people that were lost. Something struck that young man. He jumped up. They thought he had snapped. They thought he had lost his mind. As he began to say to some of his friends that were sitting nearby, he said, they're going to hell. He would call them by their first name. He'd say, do you realize that they're going to hell? For the next several days, that was a phrase that he would repeat over and over again. They thought, man, he's, he's went over the edge. He's, he's out there. Maybe he's too much. Maybe he doesn't have balance, you know. He needs to be more balanced. He's too spiritual to be any earthly good. That same young man graduated from Bible school and went started five churches in major cities. Some of them today are some of the larger churches in the Pentecostal movement. 
He preached some of the greatest revivals in North America, seeing more souls probably than any other evangelist. I'll write up there with the top. Pray through the Holy Ghost. I want to tell you something. If you're going to have a real walk with God, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you some time. It's going to cost you maybe even some friends. It's going to cost you hours of fellowship with others to have fellowship with Him. But if you're fervent and you've got a hunger and desire, I'm telling you, there's a God that said, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For there's one guarantee in this deal. You can never have a hunger after me that I won't feel you. And as long as you've got capacity to receive, I'll keep giving. I'll keep giving. I'll keep giving. Come on, we've got to make room for him in our world. We've got to make room for the Spirit of God to move on us. I wonder if there's anybody that's hungry for the Lord here tonight. Amen. I wonder if there's anybody that desires and needs him more in your life here this evening. Your desire is and hunger.